All right, a little bit of faith. Faith is the beginning. Ata shraddha, tata sadhu. Step one is faith, and step two we're going to discuss tonight. Because Krishna is giving step two in the 34th verse of the fourth chapter. And we began discussing this verse last week. And we read the purport of Bhaktivedanta Swami, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. Tonight we are going to read the purport to the same verse by Swami B.V. Tripurari, who some of you know. So we can chant this verse, Tadvidi pranipate na pariprasne na sevaya upadekshanti te gyanam janinas tatvadarsina. Acquire that wisdom through humble resignation, relevant inquiry and rendering service to the wise who have realized the truth. They in turn will impart wisdom unto you. Omajana Trimanandasha Janajana Salakaya Chakshun Militanyena Tasmai Sri Guruve Namaha I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. So these three things began last week discussion of the position of guru in relationship to <clears throat> the method required for the disciple to take advantage of the spiritual preceptor's knowledge. This is something different than the dime store approach to gurus that is sometimes prevalent in various societies. Sometimes, like in India, the family will, it's family tradition to accept a guru. I guess you could say it's part of their uh, religious tradition. Yes, I accept my family guru. He's given me initiation. And even in the Western world, when we look back to uh, the, uh, the hippie era, it became a fashion to have a guru. We saw that the musicians who were at that time basically the leaders of the counter-revolution, they led the charge through uh, their music in the whole uh, approach of uh, abandoning materialism, which was so prevalent uh, uh, in our culture. Of course, they didn't do a very good job of it. They just replaced one set of materialistic ideals with another. And unfortunately, they were both ideals based on material enjoyment, not on spiritual culture. But we're not here to discuss the culture of the hippie movement. We should see it for what it was. It was fun to, to go out and revolt against the establishment but all we did was make our own establishment was based on the same the same thing in a different package true spiritual life means that we can see things in proper perspective to abandon the mode of passion for the mode of ignorance <laughs> may not have been in the best interest <laughs> of the counter-revolutionaries of that period. 
of which I was a participant, so what can I say? But we saw during the period that the musicians led the charge and the, the youth uh, followed behind. The musicians were the primary. I think there were some poets in there, Ginsburg and a few good writers. I don't know who the Kinsley, who were some of the other writers of that era. era. Huh? Huxley. So you had your poets, you had your writers, you had your musicians, which were a lot of different bands, were at the forefront, more than you could count on one hand or two. Uh, but it was a fashion of the counter-revolution to have a guru. So you saw the musicians, they were all going and a lot of them were going to India and seeking out a guru. But in seeking out a guru, what was their intent? They said enlightenment. They said enlightenment. So if that was their intent, that's a good intent. It became somewhat of a status symbol. I have a guru. I've, I've chosen this guru. My guru is better. <laughs> <laughs> Here Krishna is talking about that guru who can change our life spiritually. And it is not, as pointed out in Swami Tripurari's purport, it's, it's not a material endeavor. We have to be serious about ending our involvement in this plane. We have to be serious about advancing spiritually. Otherwise, simply to accept a guru as a matter of fashion is not going to be beneficial for us. These three ingredients, when presented by the inquisitive student of spiritual life, display to the guru the sincerity of the prospective student. These three things. Little humility, pranams, pariprashnena, is true inquiry. True inquiry. And in the purport it's brought out an example of true inquiry. What are the examples given? Who am I? Yes. These are serious inquiries. They're not just some flippant thing. Oh, my guru, why do I have two eyes? You know? <laughs> Something that's just... Why am I not a flatworm? Yes. So many things we can ask guru, but... These kind of inquiries. Why am I forced to suffer in this world? Where did I come from? Who am I? Now, these, this is some serious stuff. So now if you can approach a guru with those kind of inquiries, 
if you can approach him humbly, making serious inquiries about spiritual life. And if you can render some service, he can see, yes, this is qualified. This is someone who has a qualification. <laughs> They're serious enough to warrant my time. Yes? Another, I always think, you know, like an improper question is kind of like, where should I live? You know, should I get this job? Should I get that job? But in here he actually points out that it, it shouldn't be for the simple sake of philosophical pursuit. You know, like, to just get more knowledge. You know, like, you don't, like, pick the guru's brain so you can have more knowledge, but you ask the guru out of, you know, the desire to become free from things. Like, even to just ask, you know, so, so that you will have as much knowledge as the guru has. You know, kind of like, oh, you've read the latest thing? Oh, well. Good luck with that one. Good luck with what one? Trying to have as much knowledge as the oh. guru has. <laughs> but you, you, like sometimes people just ask. They just want to have knowledge. They want to acquire yeah. knowledge. It's like a bank account. Let me put so much in my bank account. Because it's interesting. Oh, it's interesting, yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm saying some people ask questions yeah. just because they're interested. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's interesting to think about. Mm -hmm. Rather than right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. So, we can see that Krishna is pointing out some of the qualification here of the student. And we've kind of covered that. So I wanted to touch upon this week some of the other side of the qualification. There's our qualification as a serious student. And there's also the qualification of the bona fide guru. Who do we go to for this knowledge? Who can we, who can we approach for proper answers to such relevant questions? Just anybody on the street? Can we just go up to anybody and say, could you tell me why I'm here in the material world? Do you, can, can you tell me what the source of my soul is? Can you actually teach me the characteristics of the Supreme? Can you explain to me the workings of creation and sub-creation and the different interactions within the, the material energy of the elements and how the soul is carried from one body to another. Can I just go to anybody on the street and ask such questions? Who do we go to? If we're serious about spiritual life, what are the qualifications on the other side? Krishna is giving us qualifications of the disciple. If you want to learn the truth, try to approach the bona fide spiritual master with humility, relevant inquiry, and service. 
Where do we find this guru? Where do we find such a personality to whom we can place such relevant questions? Now, this fourth chapter began with Krishna giving an indication as to the source of pure spiritual knowledge. And who did he point to? Himself, didn't he? Whenever and wherever there's a decline in religious practice, I come down and give pure spiritual knowledge. When the influence of time deteriorates, the message, the pure message of spiritual life, when that happens in this world, what happens? I come myself, Krishna says. As the knowledge or as a material body? As a material body? Krishna never has a material body. Mm-hmm. We have a material body. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the distinction between our body and Krishna's? Ours, and it, ours is influenced. We don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. You didn't choose, I'm going to be born in this culture at this time to these parents and I'm going to have this level of education and this level of bodily strength and beauty. We didn't get to choose any of the characteristics that now comprise this, well, it's actually a cage <laughs> that the soul's in. Krishna doesn't, isn't subjected to that external energy of his which influences us. He can come to this world, he can manifest on this plane, but he's not like us in that regard. So it's very important that we always remember that. He doesn't take a material body. So what is this standard of guru? Krishna in the beginning of the chapter has explained that he comes to put the knowledge in proper order when it deteriorates. He gives pure spiritual knowledge not influenced by his external energy. Now those influences are explained in the Vedas four primary influences that make it impossible. Not maybe someone can figure it out. Someone can use their facility of the body to arrive at spiritual knowledge. These are major these four things that come with our material conditioning. First one is this body has imperfect senses. The body can give us knowledge, but that knowledge is going to be filtered through senses which are not pure. They're always shifting and changing. Sometimes I can hear well. I'm giving a body that has good hearing. Sometimes I'm born and my ears don't even work. Seeing, smelling, tasting, touching. These senses for acquiring knowledge are imperfect. In this world, I'm influenced in such a way that what I accept as reality is sometimes illusion. 
approach and better understand the knowledge? You can put on spectacles. Yeah. You can go to the you can go to the optometrist and he can give you a little better vision, mm -hmm. but is he going to make your vision perfect? There's always some limitation to these senses, so the empiric knowledge, the the knowledge that we can derive through them, there's always going to be some flaw there. The environment is, is such that we also accept one thing one day and another thing the next. An illusion is there, huh? It's like in the desert. Sometimes the thirsty man will say, oh, I see water down there. It's just over there. Let me run. And when he gets there, there's no water. Similarly, we see mankind thinking, if I marry that woman right over there, then I'll be happy. That's it. Or that man. Well, if I get this job, or if I get this, then I'll be happy. And we chase around, chasing one illusion after another. And once we get our hands on it and grab it, and we have it in our grip, it's not quite what we were expecting. Not quite there. Always some little illusory thing. Material existence is like that. The mind has so many plans, but it's never, never fully satisfying to the heart. So, imperfect senses, illusion. We make mistakes. Unless there's someone here among, has anybody not made a mistake? A major mistake or a minor mistake where you really got it wrong, what you thought would make you happy didn't make you happy, when you thought this and then it turned out to be that. And if there's a way to get it for nothing, we like that. We have a tendency to cheat. These are the defects that we have coming into this inquiry into spiritual life. And if we feel we can acquire perfect transcendental knowledge with these defects, well, one of the defects is we're in illusion. We're not going to be able to do it. We don't have perfect senses. Even our mind, which is the topmost of our senses, is not perfect. Sometimes it works well. Sometimes it hardly works at all. <laughs> Sometimes it works well for the whole life, and then at the end of the life it becomes demented, and we don't even know who our family members are. What a pity. But that's material senses. That's the way of this material world. Everything here is temporary, including the environment. So if I'm looking for perfect knowledge and Krishna is saying tadvidi pranipate na pariprashne sevaya, just try to learn the truth by approaching a spiritual master, where do we go? Who do we go to? Well, first of all, we have to find that individual 
who is free of those defects. Otherwise, what do I need him for? If he's working under the same, if he's working under the same set of unfortunate circumstance that I am, then what kind of knowledge can he give? So in looking for a guru, we have to take to finding an individual who is free of these defects. Whoa. That makes the job kind of difficult, doesn't it? Where do I find such an individual? Where do I find that person who's free of those defects? When everybody around us appears to be in the same boat we are in, with the same imperfect senses, with the same tendency to cheat, with the same illusions, with the same cheating propensity. Where do I find such an individual? Well, first let's discuss that person who's risen above those defects and some characteristics that we can outwardly observe which will help us in our pursuit of finding Sri Guru. Srila Rupa Goswami, one of the primary disciples of Lord Chaitanya, whose Krishna come in a disguised form so that he could show us how to be a devotee. That's pretty amazing in itself. God coming and disguising himself as a devotee simply to show us how to be a perfect devotee. That's Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And this Krishna conception that we are learning is coming because of his magnanimous nature. Adarya, magnanimous. So some characteristics we need to see in Sri Guru before we fall at his feet with humility, submissive inquiry, and service. Some characteristics that distinguish him as being free of those defects that make our position very tenuous when it comes to acquiring spiritual realization. Rupa Goswami, one of the primary followers of Sri Chaitanya, Krishna himself, gave six characteristics we should see. Vacho Vegam, Manasa Krodo Vegam, Jivad Vegam, Udara Pasta Vegam. Vacho Vegam. What comes from his mouth, he controls. He controls the tongue. Vacho Vegam, Manasa Krodo Vegam. He's in control of his mind. He's in control of the tongue. He's not affected by anger. What's that mean? Not affected by anger. Kroda. Earlier in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna gave us an indication of what results in Kroda, didn't he? What makes us lose intelligence? What makes us contemplate objects? Lust. And what's Krishna say about that lust? It is the enemy. 
It's the enemy of spiritual advancement. If we see in someone's character that that result of lust is not there, then we can assume that he's not under the influence of lust. No anger. Anger's the consequence of lust. While contemplating the object of the senses, one has some attachment. From attachment, lust develops. From lust, anger. From lust, bewilderment of memory. I forget what it's all about. And the result of that, anger. Can't fulfill my desire. Vacha vegam manasakrado vegam jiva vegam udarapastu vegam. So not only does he have control of his speaking, of his mind, he's not affected by anger, therefore he's not influenced by lust. Vacha vegam manasakrado jiva vegam udarapastu vegam. He's not overwhelmed by the pushings of the material senses. Those pushings are the tongue, the belly, and the genitals. In this world, those are the primary pushings. If you really look to material existence, they're the center of material existence, are they? Eating nicely, satisfying your belly, tasting food that's very palatable, enjoying sex life, much as I like. These characteristics are there. And Jiva Goswami goes so far in this wonderful verse to say, one who can control these six items is qualified to accept disciples all over the world. It's not a cheap thing, huh? Vacha vegam manasakrado vegam jiva vegam udaropasta vegam Yes, ma'am. But since we have these the defects, we're defective when we're judging the person who has those qualities. Mm -hmm. so, you know, especially Good point. Cheating. Mm -hmm. so if, I'm a, if I have a propensity to cheat, then would I recognize the Influence me to such an extent. It's a good point. Yeah. How do you know? And there's certainly a lot of charlatans out there to to take what did you say earlier? Take the wallet and it's empty. <laughs> you know. Turn on your TV set. You'll see them. Yes, yes. Send your money. I'll send you your blessings. <laughs> And the unfortunate lady, their retirement is saying, oh, yes, I need this preacher's blessings. And her faith is there, is it not? This, this man will do it for me. Listen to him. He has the power. He'll tell you he has the power. Look. On the stage, he's putting his hand to the forehead, and they're falling back, and they can walk or whatever. <laughs> I got the power. Yes? Where can we find this verse? Jiva Goswami's verse that we were, you were quoting. Upadesha Amrita, first verse. 
which is Bhaktivedanta gave it the name Nectar of Instruction. That's just a few verses, this book, but it's very... So we, we mentioned last week that we talk about another verse from Upadeshamrita. Uh, it also has some of the characteristics. So these are the first characteristics. Vacha vegam manasakrata vegam jiva vegam udharapasta vegam. That's someone that can control these pushings. The verse actually reads, a sober person who can control the urge to speak, the mind's demands, and the actions of anger, and the urges of the tongue, the belly, and the genital, is qualified to make disciples all over the world. So that's preliminary qualification. Preliminary qualification. Now, we also touched upon last week the fifth verse of this same Upadeshamrita by Srila Rupa Goswami, Nectar of Instruction. And we were talking about another characteristics that, that comes up in this fifth verse. Now the fourth verse of this Upadeshamrita speaks to the way that people that are in pursuit of spiritual life exchange loving affection with one another. It's not like the affection on the material plane. It has a special significance. That last verse, dadati pratigrinati guyam akyati pritchati bhote bonjayate chaiva sadvida vidam priti lakshanam. You know this? You? Yes. So there are six ways that we, as devotees, exchange love. Primary six ways. Offering gifts in charity and accepting charitable gifts. Offering and receiving gifts. Offering food and being being fed. It's my favorite one. <laughs> Archie shares this love with me daily. It's just a <laughs> wonderful thing. Mm. And inquiring with these characteristics that Krishna's pointed out in Bhagavad Gita, humbly, sincerely, significantly and with some service attitude and giving knowledge in confidence. What does this word confidence mean? This word confidence will come up again and again in Bhagavad Gita, won't it? This knowledge is the king of education, the most secret of all secrets. And we'll notice in the 18th chapter, Krishna says, this is the most secret knowledge. This, this devotional process is the most secret knowledge. 
And then there's even the more secret knowledge and the most secret knowledge. Yes, it's in confidential. So confidential exchange of knowledge, that's there. Between devotees. The next verse gives some additional qualifications when it comes to guru. The next verse tells us how we discriminate because there are so many devotees, people that are striving for spiritual enlightenment, but they're not always all on the same level, are they? There's the beginners, there's the intermediates, and there are the advanced. And we worship them all. They're all worshipable. There's a difference between them and the man on the street that simply wants to exploit me At least they're moving in the direction of my Supreme Lord. So, how do we interact with them? How do we exchange love? How how do we discriminate about who we give gifts to and accept gifts from? Who we feed and don't... Well, we feed everybody. We're devotees. (laughs) We don't discriminate there. But, especially when it comes to knowledge... Who do we attain knowledge from? Who is that perfect guru? This verse is wonderful. One should mentally honor, in the mind, the devotee who chants the holy name of the, of the Lord. One should offer humble obeisances to the devotee who has undergone spiritual initiation, diksha, and is engaged in worshiping the deity. And one should associate with and faithfully serve that pure devotee who is advanced in undeviated devotional service and whose heart is completely devoid of the propensity to criticize others. Well, that gives a pretty... If I'm looking for a guru... No, I have six pretty serious things to look for. Control, the urge to speak, the minds to vans, the actions of anger, the urges of the tongue, the belly and genitals. He's not a materialist. And he's on the topmost platform when it comes to his devotion to God. Characterized by what? He doesn't do anything else. It's undeviated. It doesn't matter what you see him doing. Krishna's on the tip of his tongue. And serving Krishna is all that he's about. And what? He's the friend of everybody. He's the friend of every living entity. Why? There's no envy. You can't live without criticizing others if you have envy anywhere in your heart. Oh, but I've seen gurus and they're always chastising their disciples. Do this, do that. You're not doing this right. We touched on that last week. That's a different thing. The guru comes down from his non-envious position of not finding fault anywhere just to train us. That's his mercy. His finding fault in us is not for any exploitative reason. I want to close because I've already 
reached my time limit here, uh, with a little bit of a reading from the purport of Bhaktivedanta Swami in regards to this verse that we just read, mentally honoring a devotee who even chants the name of the Lord, offering obeisances to those who have made a firm commitment in their life to spiritual progress. That firm commitment is, I found a spiritual preceptor and I am taking direction from him for my purification and upliftment. Those people we offer obeisance to. We fall at their feet. Wow, what a commitment you've made. Please, accept my obeisance. And what? One should associate with and faithfully serve that pure devotee who is advanced in undeviated devotional service and whose heart is completely devoid of the propensity to criticize others. Free of envy. Prabhupada in this purport discusses these three levels of devotees. Those, there's Sanskrit terms for those. Kanista Adhikari, Madhyam Adhikari, Uttama Adhikari. And in talking about the Uttama Adhikari, Prabhupada talks about initiation, accepting a spiritual master. This is what I want to share with you. There's another verse from the Bhagavatam, from the Uta, Uddhava Gita. Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna. He also spoke Uddhava Gita to Uddhava. And... Uh, the relationship is a little different between Arjuna and Krishna and Uddhava and Krishna. But this verse is there. Tasmad Gurum Prapajeta Jignasu Shreya Uttama. When one is actually interested in the transcendental science of the absolute truth, he should approach a spiritual master. And this is the purport I wanted to share with you. One should not accept a spiritual master without following his instructions nor should one accept a spiritual master just to make a fashionable show of spiritual life. One must be jignasu, very much inquisitive to learn from the bona fide spiritual master. The inquiries one makes should strictly pertain to transcendental science, jignasu shreya utamam. The word upaman refer, upamam refers to that which is above material knowledge. Tama means the knowledge the darkness of this material world. And U means transcendental. Ut. Generally, people are very interested in inquiring about mundane subject matters. But when one has lost such interest and is simply interested in transcendental subject matters, he is quite fit to become initiated. When one is actually initiated by the bona fide spiritual master, then he seriously engages in the service of the Lord, he should be accepted as a Majjama Adhikari. So Prabhupada is mentioning here when someone comes to the point of being able to accept a spiritual master and becomes serious enough about his spiritual life to follow his instructions. Spiritual masters are so merciful that they accept anyone who has any inclination but there is some responsibility being mentioned here 
We have to follow their instructions to get the benefit. Simply accepting the guru as a matter of fashion is not going to help us. Well, it might. I mean, gurus are like so merciful. Sometimes we have no qualification and they, they bestow mercy even without our sincerity. But generally speaking, we need to show some sincerity. And we notice in our dealings with Sri Guru that when there is some serious and sincere service, serious inquiry and true humility, then they're inclined so much more to assist. There's a nice discussion here in this purport regarding the qualification of the bona fide spiritual master and the need to accept a guru from the highest level, the Uttama Adhikari. So we know the qualifications are there in the verse. And although those in the beginning stage and in the intermediate stage can certainly help us, unless they've come to the platform of an Uttama Adhikari who is free of envy, who is cent percent engaged in Krishna's service undeviatedly, no deviation, unless they've come to that platform, they may be so kind, even on the lower platforms, to accept us as a, as a disciple. But in the poor port, Prabhupada mentions, we will have difficulty advancing to the ultimate goal due to their insufficient knowledge. So it's a great science, and... There is a great community of devotees to help us find those pure devotees who accept disciples and are fully qualified. And we have a, it is not we, that we have no responsibility in the matter. As I mentioned last week, there has been a lot of discord when it comes to the position of guru in the wake of the departure of Bhaktivedanta Swami. And there's institutional gurus and there's, there's been so many different, uh, different things when it comes to uh, who to and not to accept as guru in the Krishna consciousness movement. And gradually these things are, uh, are being ironed out. The proper conception will be there. The proper conception is there and if you ever come across any difficulties in, in understanding any of the points, because there is some contentiousness in the Vaishnav, Western community of Vaishnavs when it comes to this matter. Please come to me or go to your guru and have your mind completely satisfied when it comes to this contentiousness that you may experience in the community of devotees. The sectarian, sometimes there's even sectarianism. My guru's better than your guru. No. Guru is one. Guru is one. Your guru is the best guru for you. That's a fact. But the instruction is, is there. 
and the and the myriad of uh, presentation of guru is is there as pointed out in the purports both Bhaktivedantas and Triparari's uh, the guru is is there both in the in the initiating position and also in the instructing position we have one initiating guru we may have many instructing gurus that help us along the path so I'll stop there are there any questions you don't have a question real quick there Happy birthday, Namachintamani. Happy birthday to you. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.